tabletop Tim here with a reminder that maybe if people talked about their problems instead of stealing from haberdasheries, they might have an easier time in their life naming no names. <coughs> Dean Daniel. Anyway, thanks to our existing patrons Hedwig and Carlo and our new friends Alia and Ariana. Mm, I hope you enjoy. Is it a probably bad podcast? A podcast which is definitely bad. I'm pencil. I'm paper. Today's probably bad RPG idea is create a martial discipline based around booping the snoot. For those who don't know what martial disciplines are, in 3.5 edition, they're either the best idea that thing had or the worst idea that thing had and should be burnt. They're basically like spells for fighters and give you cool anime Dragon Ball Z style fighty skills. Like, you can punch people so hard that they lose their damage resistance, or you can shoot fireballs with sheer mighty power and so forth and so forth. It's or basically how 3.5 mid-fighter's interesting. Yeah. I very, li- I very much like them, and if you disagree, feel free to come to our email and fight us. Um, no, don't yeah. go to the email because I'm in charge of the inbox. Go to Twitter. Feel free to go to email and fight paper. Um <laughs> With your martial disciplines. You'll never boop my snoot. Just... Um, so the reason I picked this one out of, of the archives is because I really like the idea of making a martial discipline where the whole thing is not to kill the person. Yeah, like, to be fair, a non-lethal martial discipline based around, like, disarming and immobilizing and so forth would actually be very interesting to play. It's almost yeah. like like the tag rugby yeah. of warfare, where like you have to go in and you get points just by like tapping yeah. the opposing army and the, whoever gets the most taps wins. Yeah. So, yeah, there's an um, X-Men comic where it's Wolverine is hunting animals and it's revealed that he doesn't kill them, he just walks up to them and sort of pats them to show how skilled he is at hunting animals. And I feel like a D&D party that does the same thing, they're not going into the dungeon to kill the dragon, they're going into the dungeon just to prove they can get close enough to the dragon to boop it. I like that, it's almost like a wildlife photographer. Yeah, like their aim isn't... the same set of of skills apart from the killing part. Yeah, they have no interest in murdering the monsters, because, you know, it's their dungeon, they just live there. It's not dragon infested if the dragon was there first. Hmm. You can even like push this out to like the monsters are in on it, and it's essentially you're just playing a fun game of tag with the orcs. I love this. Like you know, you just send a message to the orc warlord ahead of time, going, "Hi, how would you, how would you and your troops feel about a fun game of boot tag?" And then he sent back a message going, "Hell yeah, we like a fun game of boot tag. Here's our dungeon," and they just go in running around booping the orcs as they try and hide. Okay, secondary idea. Replace all combat with fun games of hide-and-seek. Yeah. Like, it's all fun, like, it's all fun games. Like, the, the mind flayers burst out of the ground and challenge you to a game of Twister. 
feel like mind flayers would have a disadvantage at that, so it's you know it's quite honourable of them yeah. to choose that. Is that I have to imagine that mind flayers are very top heavy. Yeah, but I also sort of imagine that their limbs move in sort of more ways than us. That's true. Maybe it balances out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and like you know. The track you arrive at a dragon's lair and it challenges you to spin the bottle. How do you win spin the bottle? Yeah, so you make out with a dragon. <laughs> That's just part you... of the game. Or is it like if you get to second base? Yeah, you win if you bang the dragon. Um I don't think that's second base. I I there's two bases, okay. <laughs> Dragon baseball is a very quick game. <laughs> yes. Like, you can easily expand this out to other games too. Like, you know, you're in Shadowrun and the. I think it's Mr. Smith, the, the guy shows up here. Yeah, the mega corporations have a mission for you. They want you to beat them at a game of rock, paper, scissors. In World See, of Darkness. That's intense because that's not a game of skill. Hmm. In in World of Darkness, a vampire prince will give away all of their power and money to anyone who can beat them in um, tic-tac-toe. Just replace all combat with fun little games. It'll be great. You're suggesting a TTRPG that's based entirely around mini-games, and I'm into mm. it. No, no, what it needs to be is in the World of Darkness, the vampire prince will beat you... Because there's two work. Because there's two vampire. There's vampire the requiem and vampire the masquerade. Mm -hmm. And in vampire the requiem, I don't think I'm pronouncing that word right. The vampire prince will give will like give you power and status if you join in their vampire the masquerade RPG and vice versa in vampire the masquerade. See, I don't know why, but I was convinced you were going to say if you beat him at Mario Kart. Of that, vampires have their own spooky version of Mario Kart. They've modded it so all of the all of the characters are spooky. It's still called Mario Kart, except the blue shells are black. Yeah, because it's all goth. It's called... Yeah. Now that's uh, one of vampires' lesser known powers is any video game they sit down to play, um, it turns into a goth version of that video game. That's one of the ways you can tell if someone's a vampire. You never want to play Limbo with a vampire. I like the games with that. It's I like the games with that. It sort of inverts, and a vampire sits down. It's just this bright, happy, shiny, fun game. <laughs> the spider's wearing a little hat and singing a cheery little song. It absolutely still kills you, but it's adorable. Yeah. So yeah, I think. I don't think we've covered actual discipline, but we certainly have got a lot of very interesting ideas for how to, like, have fun with you. But you can play the mini-games IRL. You can just get out, like, WarioWare. Yeah. The vampire challenges you to a game of Fortnite, you say, loading up, loading up your PC. That's for when you're just bored of all of your, all of your friends wanting to play TTRPGs all the time. Yeah, in the Don't event that you're stuck... Yeah, in the event that you're stuck playing RPGs with a bunch of nerds and you desperately want to stop, we've got the idea for you. 
going back to the actual idea though I'm kind of imagining it being a very like honor based thing Hmm. and you could almost have like an honor mechanic for it or like if you if you kill too many enemies rather than like capturing them alive or booping them you end up losing power yeah so D&D for 3.5 had the pacifist has an oath of pacifism in one of its source books which gave you like various boosts to your stats as long as you didn't fight people. And obviously it ran into the slight problem that almost every ability in D&D is based around fighting people. So you had quite a lot of stats, but you don't really have very much to do with them. And I feel like this kind of discipline would really help with that. Because as long as you didn't kill people and you just used your non-aggressive discipline and it gave you various ways to do that, you could be quite, like, quite useful. But obviously there's also still the temptation of you could also just kill people. There's a big philosophical discussion on just how much violence is baked into D&D as a conceit. Yeah, I guess that's going to happen when you get a whole genre based around, like, evolving from war games. Yeah. I will admit it's part Um, of the reason there are games I like a lot more than (laughs) D&D. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, I feel this would be useful in making a D&D that isn't inherently based around go to those people and stab them lots. So there you go, we've got both a discussion on Spooky Mario Kart and a discussion on the ethical implications of violence. It it truly is spooky season. Indeed, again, feel free to go to the email and yell at Mod Paper. No, it's fine, it's the two scariest things, monsters and philosophy. Meaning the scariest possible D&D monster is an ogre that wants to discuss whether morality is objective or subjective with you. I mean, that would scare me. Like, ogres are always portrayed as, like, you know... I've that kind of person. I don't like them. Yeah. I've had several of those kind of people in my philosophy seminars. Um, Yeah, because ogres are always portrayed as, like, dumbasses, but somehow they seem more terrifying if they sit down and just start taking out um, Atlas Shrugged and trying to explain to you why objectivism is morally correct. So, on, on that incredibly scary note... So we move on to questions. Yes. Hi, I'm Hazel and I present the Bread and Thread podcast with Liz, also known as Paper from Probably Bad. Um, Bread and Thread is a podcast about food history and domestic history and generally social history. We delve into a lot of different things. So if you'd like to know which country has laws against importing sheep, what cookbook? We'll tell you how to make a great martini and also how to survive a nuclear bomb attack, uh, or why you are using a fork right now. Then come over to Bread and Thread and give us a listen. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are. I don't know. 
So our first question is from a socialist hobgoblin, presumably the archenemy of the aforementioned ogre. This has probably been asked, but how did you all get into RPGs? So this has been asked, but it was one of the first episodes, which at this point is almost two years ago, so I thought it would be Um, fun to bring it back. Yeah. And also my microphone was terrible at that point, so I understood if you can't get couldn't get through it. That's true. It's time for a, a high def version. Yeah. Like so my story of how I got to RPGs is weird. In the, my dad um got me a present from a charity shop. Um and it was just a book that he thought looked cool. And what it was was an um Call Call of Cthulhu supplement, and I read through the Call of Cthulhu supplement. And was like, this is cool, and then I started getting more RPG supplements, and this meant I was sort of into RPGs for a good three to four years before I ever played an RPG, entirely theoretically, because I didn't have any friends as a kid, so no one wanted to play RPGs with me. Um. So, yeah, I got to RPGs due to being accidentally given a Call of Cthulhu supplement, getting weirdly obsessed with it, and then several years later actually making friends who would play RPGs with me. I love that it wasn't even a, a main rule book. No, it was, it was a supplement about um, spooky books and, you know, the various, if you read this tome, it'll make your eyeballs fall out. Uh, and it was supplement about those ones and how to use them in the game and stuff. How old were you at this point? I were early teens, I think. That is a wild thing to get someone. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, I don't. I don't know what it was about it that my brain just went ah. This is a thing I appreciate. I think it was because it had lists for what various, like lists of various spells, but obviously I didn't know what any of the spells actually were because I didn't have the actual rule book. I just made them up. Basically, I made up a, an entirely unique version of Call of Cthulhu based entirely on this one rule book I had. And then I found the actual Call of Cthulhu, which, yeah. And then I found actual people. You feel like at some point we need to play your version of Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, I sadly don't remember a lot of it, but I, if I ever do remember the version of Call of Cthulhu I came up at 14 based entirely on no context, spell names, creature names, and the description of various books. Um, so I, I also... Had I had like a vague interest in the concept of TTRPGs as a teen, and also had no friends. Um, then when I did get friends, they didn't really want to play. Then I went to uni, and I met just a whole bunch of queer nerds all at once. And one of them was basically just asked me, "Hey, do you want to play D and D?" And then I did. And then Autism Brain went, yes, yes, the happy juices are here, more please. And now I'm here. Yes, our first... You were in the first RPG I tried to run. Um, it was with a rule system that 
I've looked it up, and everyone agreed was absolutely ludicrous. Um, so I'm glad I didn't sour both of us on RPGs forever. Well, I mean, because... I'd, I'd already been playing with um, actually one of our patrons as the DM by the time that happened. E. So luckily I almost didn't just didn't sour myself. Combat was in <laughs> six sections, and different characters could act in different sections. And there were just it was utterly incomprehensible. It was weird. And then my zombie horse burnt down the whole plot. Yeah, uh, this was the one where the zombie horse... Due to me being a starter DM and the rules not being great, um, the zombie horse, I rolled to see what the zombie horse did and what it did was awaken an elder god and destroy a large chunk of the setting. I mean, I until that, that point, RPG, I enjoyed the game, though. Yeah, I learned that game. I, I learned that that game, which um, is called Alpha and Omega, for people who don't know, which is really all of you, um, had a full-on ARG to um, advertise it. But that okay. ARG came out at the same time as Cloverfield. So everyone assumed it was part of the Cloverfield ARG. And then they solved it and learned about this RPG. Well, I didn't care about that. And then they just all went back to Cloverfield. Um, so that's the tragic. That's the tragic story of that RPG. I know how we can make this answer different from last time. How? Our producer slash editor Nick didn't answer last time. Yes, would you, producer would you like slash to editor Nick. This question. It did say you all. <laughs> okay, so I remember knowing vague things about it and already liking um, fantasy and sci-fi I grew up yeah, reading a lot of sci-fi I think more than fantasy but then I got into talking um, I saw it depicted on, on shows a fair bit especially like community and that um, so I think once I decided that I ought to ought to get into it and try running a session, so I've got got a couple of PDFs of various uh, of like a prepackaged campaign and some of the rules, which I sort of half arsed and home ruled a bit, and we had a box of wine, which got emptied over the course of the session. And it was the most, it was the worst game I've ever run. But it was also great fun because, you know, the wine. And also I decided that every time somebody missed, it would hit the side of a barn, regardless of the situation. It's just, oh no, you rolled a one. Well, it turns out the arrow hits the barn door inside this cave. That's about as logical as Feast of Legends. Yeah, yeah. I was. We never had a second session. It was just. Um, it was just getting incredibly drunk and playing it, and then I moved, and met people who knew how to do the game, and so um, I think my first. Yeah, this would be playing with Fourth Ed, which I did for a while, and then 
yeah, people just introduced me to different systems, and I think that was a good couple of years ago now. Thank you, editor slash producer Nick. You're welcome. I like how Nick's story is the most normal one of the three. Yeah. Is this why is this why we're the ones that do the probably bad? Yeah, like Nick is our producer because Nick is the person is the normal member of the team. Which is saying something. If if you know Nick. Which you probably don't, but if you do, I hope you enjoyed that joke specifically for you. I mean some people that know us in real life listen to this. Okay, and our next question is anonymous. Do you have any advice for homebrewing monsters? I feel like we maybe should have answered this question before the homebrew challenge started, but we got it after, so here we, here are. we are. Like, I think what I... Yeah, I think my main advice is, like, Generally come up with, like, the fluff and the concept first. Because just because it's tempting to sort of just stick a bunch of powers together, but you'll just come up with some weird mishmash monster. I think it's always easier to be like, okay, this is what the monster's sort of theme is. And then sort of try and figure that one out. Yeah, because there are... Theoretically infinite abilities, hmm. so you 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 do need to have a, a strong concept to sort of build around. Yeah, I think it's also probably important to remember, basically what not just like how this monster is cool and so forth, but how this monster would fit into a campaign. Like, you know, is this monster meant to be something that's gonna be a like? trap essentially that the characters will walk in and be attacked by and fight off and then leave is it something that's going to be a big bad is it something that's going to be sort of a mystery thing where they have to find it like I think the fundamental problem with, mon with homebrewing monsters is D&D has a lot of monsters mm. and yeah the monster has to be very cool or very unique to sort of you know, no, I get what you mean. Like it's it's easy to it's easy to end up plagiarizing without meaning to. Yeah, or something that just kind of someone else has done better. I think yeah, if you're just homebrewing for your Not friends, that, that means you can't homebrew something that someone else has already done. Yes, yeah. sometimes uh, you want it to be different than how. I they mean, did every it. idea has already been done by someone. Yeah, we are. Except what? ours, of course, which is the first and only into... RPG podcast. Because we are, what, like 40-ish years into D&D existing? Yeah. Someone's going to have done it already. Yeah, so I think, like, yeah, I think get a core concept, uh, decide what this will be used for in a campaign, and then give it some powers, I guess. Also useful to figure out how strong you want it to be. Because... You can then look at other things of a similar strength, like yeah. looking at things with, say, the challenge rating that you want and seeing how 
difficult they would be to fight and then kind of going from there so you, mm. you've got that sort of this is the point we want to be at rather than making something way too strong and then killing all of your players with it yeah i think the other thing to remember is the challenge rating is nonsense and doesn't really work or mean anything so don't rely on challenge rating um, I terms... feel like that's the opposite of what I was saying. Oh, I was saying based on based on like what monsters are actually powerful rather than what monsters the game says are powerful. In terms of bad advice, I, mean, make... I get what you mean. Like mm. you still want to like use the challenge rating as a starting point for things to compare it to. Yeah, but don't rely wholly on it. Yeah. Okay, we've combined our two bits of advice. You're welcome. Yeah. In terms of bad advice, make the monster in your basement Frankenstein style. Get a Tarask. Mm. Erase the name. Write in Fluffy Jim the Friendly Friend. And there you go. Yeah. Just get the entire monster annual and refer to all of them as, like, you know, Smiley Steve the Hug Brigade and... Lil, Lil Jenny the Cuddlebug, uh, that one is uh, the Objectivist Ogre. And just, yeah, you make, yeah, you can make monsters really, really quickly and really, really easily if you, if you just go through the monster manual, cross out the names and put in your own names. You can make so, hundreds of them very quickly. So what we're going with is good advice, don't be afraid to accidentally plagiarise. Bad advice, intentionally plagiarise. Yeah, like, you know, Someone will have come up with your idea beforehand. That's just, you know, a result of how many people are playing this game and how long they're playing it for. So just lean into it and steal all the ideas. What you need to do is get your friends to make their homebrew, and then when they show them to you, just deck them, grab it, and run. And then submit it with, like, here is my homebrew. I feel like if they don't know that it's already a thing. Yeah. Technically, like it's not plagiarism if it's D and D. It's not a crime if you don't get caught. Yeah, what you need to do is set up um your own um RPG called Dragons and Dungeons. Um and all of your rule books are just like D and D rule books, but with the wording changed slightly to avoid lawyers. Instead of a D20, it's a D21. Um, I would love to see a D21. Yeah, we all would. <laughs> Players don't need to realise that's not a thing until they've, after they've given you money for your rule books. Play also your other games, such as Darkness of World and Run Shadow. We're, we're podcasters, not copyright lawyers. Yeah, um, in the event that you find yourself in legal trouble, haha, sucks to be you. Feel free to complain to the email, which again, I don't, I don't look after, so no skin off my nose. So, yeah. That that email, by the way, is 
um probablybadpodcast at gmail.com so in in the event that you find yourself for some reason wanting to play a one-shot with us or see our homebrew or listen to bonus episodes of this um you can go to patreon.com slash probablybadrpgideas almost our homebrew is not just the tarasque with the name drawn off no i mean this month you can see what our homebrews look like because we're doing the Mm. 030 CRC homebrew challenge and I'm having a great time Mm. yes if you would like more of that and if you have a question or I guess if you want to scream at me about objectivism (laughs) um, you can either email us or message us on tumblr at probably bad RPG ideas or on twitter at bad probably And And remember remember to have a probably probably bad bad day. day.